0: Hello and welcome to the Runway VC podcast, a podcast where we have real conversations with disruptors and experts in the aviation and travel industries. We'll get into their view of the future of these industries, how they are changing, and what they are doing to adapt to it and or help shape it. We'll also dive a little bit into their backgrounds and talk about their successes and failures to hopefully give you all some little nuggets from their personal experiences. On this, our very first episode, we'd like to welcome Benet Wilson. Benet is an aviation and travel journalist who is currently the air travel expert for About.com and a contributing writer for the Runway Girl Network. For more than 20 years, she's written for a number of different organizations, including USA Today, Business Insider, the AOPA, and ACI. She has also spent some time working for companies like Delta, Rolls-Royce, and Mesa Air. Hey, Benet, how's it going?
1: Good, Chris. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, we're really grateful to have you here. Uh, Thanks for being one of our first guests. So, in addition to kind of the things that I've mentioned, uh, you've got a plethora of other experiences in the aviation and travel industries. Could you tell us a little bit more about your background and how you became to be the aviation queen?
1: Well, um, I've been a journalist for more than 30 years, and I got into aviation journalism in 1992. Um, I've always been a bit of an ad geek and always really enjoyed following the industry even when I wasn't writing about it and then once I actually got into the industry I was happily surprised to find out that people would actually pay me to write about my hobby. So I wrote for a string of aviation-related newsletters for a company that was based in Potomac, Maryland. Um, I also worked for Aviation Daily and Aviation Week in Space Technology Magazine and um, the Weekly of Business Aviation and, you know, a lot of um, trade-related publications. That's basically where my career has been. And then, you know, I also had the chance to do communications for Delta, Mesa Air Group and Rolls-Royce. And then on the nonprofit side, I also did communications for the Regional Airline Association and the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association. So I've had like a very interesting career that's allowed me to kind of see the industry from um, different vantage points.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it. So you are you're one of the aviation geeks that likes to write.
1: Yes, I am. <laughs>
0: basically filling the hobby, finding a way to pay for the hobby. That's great. That's great. Um, so we asked you to be on our one of our first episodes because we wanted to specifically talk uh, mostly about diversity in the industry and how it's evolved over time, uh, as well as the importance in the future of it. Um, I think when a lot of people hear the word diversity, their instinct is to go right to Uh, the number of women that they have working for a company or the number of African-Americans they have working for a company. Uh, But we've spoken, and the definition that you have for a diverse company uh, is a little bit different than just man, woman, uh, black or white. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about how you see what a diverse company looks like?
1: Well, I think um, I like to say diversity, small d, um, but in the broadest sense possible. So not just by race and gender, but by ethnicity and um, where you're from, um, how you grew up, um, you know, where you went to school, that sort of thing. Even um, LGBT. I mean, I think it's just very I, – I like to look at it in the broader sense because I think what some people do when they hear the word diversity they kind of roll their eyes and kind of tune out, and they think, you know, oh, quotas, I just kind to have these people, quote, unquote, these people in here so I can hit some numbers and look like I'm doing this. And with with that approach, I just don't think that that suits, and that doesn't just mean in aviation, that's any industry. I just don't think that's the way you should look at it. I mean, especially because, The country is changing. Um, You know, minorities are quickly becoming majorities. There are major cities across the United States where minorities are actually the majority, and that's changing the demographics of the United States. So companies and industries are going to have to address this sooner rather than later.
0: And in addition to the United States changing, I think your average flyer is changing, right? So airline customers um as the airline industry grows and the world becomes smaller because of aviation you're seeing a lot of different people from different parts of the world uh and especially now i think the boom is happening over in asia and just how those types of cultures interact with uh the travel you know the typical traveling culture whereas from the united states you know we see uh, airports built mostly towards Americans, um, and all of our signage in airports are in English. Very few times you walk into an airport where you see uh, different language, you know, signage in different languages. Um, so I think that when you say diversity, little d, and not, you know, the typical quota, um, it's because your customer is changing,
1: true. I mean, I was in Barcelona last week and I had to go through um, Barcelona's airport and Madrid's airport and I don't speak any Spanish and I don't speak Catalan, which is the language of Barcelona, but, you know, all of the signs in the airport had all three languages and there were a couple of times where I'd have to go to the information desk and those people, they spoke English. Um, It was the same thing in Japan. I was in Japan in November and you know, I was very intimidated, but you know there were there were English signs, and there were enough people to help um you know who spoke English, so you see more of an accommodation of our language outside of the United States than you do inside, except for airports like i was I flew into Miami, and of course Miami has Spanish sure. and English everywhere, so
0: Yeah, and I think that the other issue with diversity isn't, uh, which I don't think is talked about too often, but I think is going to be growing, especially with the airlines, is going to be the age gap, right? So from a working standpoint, the the age gap in aviation is very clear. You know, as someone in their late 20s, when I go to conferences – it's not uncommon for me to be not one of the youngest but actually the youngest person in the room. And I think that can be for a lot of different reasons, but you know, I don't know how much younger people are looking at aviation as a career path, you know, as an industry that they want to be involved in. Uh although when you look at the stats, people in their late 20s, young professionals are becoming more and more interested in travel. They're traveling all over the world and it's becoming cheaper for them to stay in those places as well as to travel with the low cost carriers
1: no that's true um and it's also true what you said about the age the age demographics in aviation um i've seen the same thing although i am starting to see more younger people and it's an it's an issue that the industry is going to have to address because you know we've got a big wave of baby boomers and i include myself in that cuz i'm at the i'm at the very bottom of the baby boomer age. So, um, although I'm still young at heart. <laughs> but, um, you know, all these people are starting to retire, and there's going to be these, this giant wave of retirement, especially in the next 10 to 15 years, and it's already started. And the industry is going to have to address that. I was talking to someone earlier today um, in the airports industry about what they're doing to bring in uh, young people so they can have that next generation of
0: leadership. So I want to take a step back and kind of go back into your entrance into the industry. So you mentioned that you kind of started covering aviation in 92. Uh, What did the industry look like back then in terms of was there a push – Uh, for diversity, or did the airlines have their typical customer in mind and those are the people that they were going to attract?
1: Well, I think the industry was very different back then. Um, At that time, we were kind of at the beginning of another recession, not nearly as bad as the one we just came out of, but, you know, it was definitely having an effect on the industry. Um, there also wasn't that urgency of people retiring. Um, and you know, the industry was changing a lot because, you know, the industry deregulated in 1978 and then it just kind of turned into this free for all. And we were still kind of dealing with that free for all because by then Pan Am was gone, Eastern was gone. And, you know, a lot of other airlines were kind of on the brink and and teetering. I'm actually remembering this very clearly because I'm reading a book right now on the history of Delta Airlines. So it's still kind of fresh in my mind. But um, the industry back then wasn't very diverse. Um, I found a job with a newspaper. It was a trade publication. It was a new one called Commercial Aviation News. It's since gone away. But – I was really happy when I got that job because it was my first entry as an aviation journalist. But, you know, I used to attend events, and, you know, I didn't see a lot of women. And I saw even, I mean, just I could go for weeks and months without seeing any diverse people at events and, and, and conferences.
0: And so when you walked in to those types of settings, um, was there any ever a time where it was either implied or maybe blatantly told that, you know, you were different. And how did you deal with that, you know, that kind of impression?
1: Well, I was different. Um, I was this black female, I, you know, Rubenesque, I I had braids in my hair and I wore very brightly colored glasses and I also wore brightly colored clothes because my feeling was I already stood out. So it would be ridiculous for me to kind of hide. So I just went in and I did my job. Um, The thing is, though, I was um, raised, my father was an officer in the United States Air Force and so was my grandfather. Both of them were officers at at a time when there weren't a lot of officers in the military. So I grew up being used to being the only one or one of a few. Um, and so, you know, I had my lessons. I knew how to, um, how to present myself in public situations because we were always moving. I learned to be outgoing. I could, I can go into a room and just start talking to people, you know, cause that's just how I was raised, but not everybody has that luxury. So it could, you know, I can see how it could be intimidating for people, you know, who are first coming into the industry. It was a little intimidating for me too, but, um. You know, you just get through it, and I, I would say, 95 to 99 percent of the people that I dealt with in the industry were nothing but kind and respectful. Um, you're always going to have people who have different opinions in, about women and about minorities, and that's just that's just the general way of the world. But my personal experience, um, overall, pretty good.
0: So, how have you seen that kind of shift? From being different, the only one, to now walking into a conference or any type of interview company and seeing kind of different faces, uh, people that don't look all the same?
1: Well, it really depends on the segment of the industry you're talking about. So, I mean, I've done commercial, I've done general aviation, I've done business aviation, and um, general and business aviation still kind of have a diversity small d, problem. And, you know, they they recognize it, but, yeah, that's still there. I mean, I can go to the NBW, NBAA show and count on my hands the number of people of color that I see. Now, it is getting better, but it's still kind of that bastion. For me, um, the airlines, I think, have been better. But to me, personally, the most diverse segment of aviation by far and my favorite segment of the industry is the airports because I see women I see minorities running major airports and you know people who are second and third in command and doing amazing things in the airport space and there just seem to be wonderful opportunities for anyone not just you know diverse people in the airport space and I see that a little more And and then that's becoming more prevalent on the airline side too.
0: Yeah, I mean you would think, especially from an airport, well, from any industry, um, and or any part of the aviation aviation industry, uh, where a user is a user uh, to an airport, an employment is an employment. Whether you're, you know, Middle Eastern or South American woman, man, uh, it's all it's all employment. The PFC charge is still the same for the airport Uh, and for the airlines. The 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 ticket is the ticket.
1: Yeah, it's a butt in a seat. They're not right. looking at
0: <laughs> right what the
1: person looks like. They're, the only color they care about is the green of their money.
0: Sure, sure, sure. Um, so in it, kind of recent years, seeing this evolution uh, in the industry, has there ever been a time, or what what was the specific time where something happened, and and you kind of you witnessed it, or it happened to you, and you kind of sat back and said, you know. That would have never happened twenty years ago.
1: Um, well, I mean, like I said, most of the people that I have dealt with have been nothing but kind and respectful. So, you know, I just I need to emphasize that. But there's always a, uh, there's always a bad apple in the barrel, and you know, there have been times when um, people have wondered what I was doing in the room. They thought that I was someone's secretary or someone's girlfriend. Um, There have been people who have made insensitive remarks um, about my race and about my gender. Um, But I guess it's it's far and few between. But my approach to it is um, I'm going to call them out. I'm not going to let somebody say something like that to me or anybody else that happens to be around, because, you know, it it does happen. I'm not going to pretend like it doesn't, but um, I'm always going to stand up for myself and I'm going to demand the respect that I deserve as um, an aviation journalist who's been at this for 25 plus years.
0: Sure, sure. And I think you hit on uh, a specific uh, point when you say that someone, uh, you know, on a conference attendee or whoever uh, mistaken mistake you for a secretary or a girlfriend or wife or um, I think that and and I say this knowing uh, admitting that I have done this myself uh, and it's taken a conscious effort to sit back and and know that these things happen and I think that's one of the ways that um, the diversity gap Gets smaller is that consciously decisions have to be made um, where you you know see a female at at an airport conference and say oh you know is who is she here with as opposed to someone that is she's here on her own Um, and and it comes to even introductions you know Mm -hmm. to a male and a female standing next to each other um, who is as a male, who are you going to introduce yourself to first? Uh, you, know, you assume that the male is supposed to be there and don't think that they are the spouse of, of, you know, in attendance of the woman that's standing next to them. Um, and I think that that just comes from the old stigma that uh, aviation is run by men, uh, which I think you've touched on is, kind of, is, is absolutely uh, becoming less and less the case.
1: You know, it's so true, and one of the things, you know, you mentioned that I write for the Runway Girl Network, and I have to applaud Mary Kirby, um, because she's been a real role model, because, you know, she's created this business, you know, from scratch. She's a respected aviation journalist, and in her Runway Girl Network, she has this section called Lean into Aviation. And I love writing for that section, because she has made a conscious effort to seek out women who are doing great things in aviation in a non-traditional way. Um, so for example, I was on Twitter and I saw a tweet about a woman um, who had run South African Airways, and a black woman. And I was like, "Wait a minute. How did I not know? that this woman was running a major global airline, plus she was the first woman and the first person of color on IATA's um, board of directors. And I was like, this is ridiculous. I cannot believe that I did not know that this woman, and she left to start her own airline in South Africa. So I said this on Twitter, and it turns out we had a mutual friend who said, oh, yes, you should... um, speak and interview Cesar and I'll introduce you by email and he did and we did the interview I did the interview with Cesar and it was it was wonderful it was interesting not only to interview her about her experiences coming up and becoming a female airline CEO which is still rare these days and a black woman CEO is even rarer you know I can't think of any others. But, you know, and then we also had time to talk about our own experiences in the industry. So it was really interesting, and I I applaud Mary for having Lean Into Aviation as that platform to kind of highlight women in aviation who are doing amazing things. I mean, I've done interviews with um, Bonnie Sini. Um, She's a vice president at, at JetBlue, and she's just had an amazing career. I mean, she went from being a an Olympic athlete to a television reporter. She learned how to fly and ended up, you know, she got a a graduate degree from Stanford. She grew up as the daughter of a single mother, and now she's um, a captain at at JetBlue, and she's also their vice president of people and culture. You know, so it's just really interesting stories like that that I think help kind of shine a spotlight on what women are doing in aviation and the possibilities for people.
0: Absolutely, yeah. And I think you you touch on that point that Mary with Runway Girl Network is is highlighting just these different roles that women are playing in the industry. I think that highlighting that is important because, you know, it, it, it reflects down to the younger generation of people that are going to be filling these roles eventually. Um, I read an article that you wrote for the AOPA back in 2014 was about minorities being involved in aviation. Uh, And I think there was a quote from, and I'm not asking you to remember the quote, um, but you had interviewed uh, the director of the aviation program at Delaware State University. Um, Oh, yes. He talked about how when he came up as a pilot, that there weren't a lot of people that were willing to teach him how to fly um, and that that barrier isn't there anymore uh, but there is just a lack of knowing how to help or how to encourage minorities or women to get further involved um, in the industry. Is that something that you're still seeing today? Uh, you know, I don't, it, from a standpoint of saying, well, as a company, we're not going to, we, you know, we want butts in the seats. Uh, but from a marketing standpoint, how do we get different people involved?
1: You know, uh, thank you for mentioning that interview because I was I, I really enjoyed doing that interview. And, you know, one of the things that I wanted to do at AOPA was to kind of put a spotlight on women and minorities in general aviation, and they were kind enough to allow me to do that and to do those kinds of stories. And I do clearly remember that story. I think one of the big things that kind of holds people back, you know, on the general aviation side is the the cost of um getting a pilot's license. It's it's not cheap. I mean, um Delaware State had some of the most reasonable rates and, you know, to its credit, AOPA did a really good job trying to get as many scholarships as they could to help people. And you know the and I was on the scholarship selection committee when I was there. And it was always great to see how diverse the scholarship winners were. I think it's also um, education. Um, I did a story on um, a a school run by a church right outside of Washington, D.C. The pastor is a pilot and they have an aviation ministry and they have a a private school and they use an aviation STEM curriculum to teach the children. It's K through 8. And, you know, as part of that, they go to a tower. They go to the Air and Space Museum. They they fly in the little four-seater Cessna 172. So they're getting that exposure, and I think that's where it's key. I mean, I grew up as a military brat, so, you know, I I used to go to the Andrews Air Force Base show every year when I was a teenager. My dad was at Maxwell Air Force Base and Edwards Air Force Base. You know, both of them had... You know, jet operations, so I was around that. It's important to get people around aviation because once you do it's it's great, you never leave,
0: yeah, and I think that especially from a stem standpoint, and going back to even that article, I think that was mentioned that when schools are trying to teach stem directly to students. Uh, it turns them off. You know, students get scared or they get intimidated by the math. They fall behind for a day or you know for one lesson. They have no real motivation to kind of catch up. But I and I believe may have been that pastor that you were speaking about, where they were teaching STEM through practical use. So yeah. why math is important and showing them using things like simulators as video games to get students to do the math that necessary to fly the planes. So they were learning the math, but it wasn't math to them. It was problem solving.
1: And it was fun. Right. You know, you can, you, know, you have to make things fun for kids, too. I have a 10-year-old, and, you know, it, you have to, you know, they have to learn this stuff. But if they have to learn it in boring ways, they're going to tune out.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I was not a math or science kid growing up but it wasn't <laughs> as it wasn't fun in school uh you know you learn the periodic table and you learn what compounds go with and or what you know the atoms and 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 elements that go to the two elements that make a compound and you remember some letters and numbers and that was it uh but we didn't do a whole lot of experimenting and you know figuring out the practical purposes for what we were learning in school so Uh, I think that programs that are teaching students through practical uses is a lot more effective when you can say, hey, this is what, you need to learn this in order to be able to fly this plane. So from a macro level, as terms of organizations helping, like you mentioned, AOPA, and uh, the affordability of becoming a pilot, which I think is obviously is not a secret anymore. You know, the, the, the pilot shortage across the entire industry uh, is becoming more and more apparent, and it's becoming tied to just the initial cost. There are a lot of organizations doing that, and I think we can talk uh, in very long length about those organizations, but what I want to focus mostly on is on a micro level. So the listeners to to this episode, just speaking for you personally, you know, as a African American woman who's become a prominent person in the industry you've accepted this role as a role model to younger people to get them involved in the industry. How how do you kind of take on that role?
1: Oh, goodness. it It is just myriad ways. I mean, I do resume reviews for people. Um, if they're looking for a job, um, I will tap my network to see, you know, if anybody is looking for someone, if they're looking at a job at a particular company, um, nine times out of ten, I'm able to help because I've I've been on both sides of the industry and I've been around a long time and people don't tend to leave this industry. They will move from place to place and they will you know, go to other companies, go to other airlines, but they stay in the industry. When I was in Barcelona last week, I was having dinner. Um, with a woman who has been an aviation lawyer um, for about 25 years. And we were sitting there talking, and we were there with another lawyer from another airline. And we were sitting there just talking about the industry, and we were laughing because we knew so many people in common, and we couldn't believe that we had never met each other. And the third person was looking at us. He's only been in aviation for two years. And he was just looking at us because he could not believe how many people that we knew and how many people we had in common. Because aviation is, I always, I I told him, it's a big industry, but it's a small industry. And if I can help young people and, you know, get into this industry, which I think is a fantastic career choice and, you know, a, a, a great career path, you know, if I can help them get in and stay in and move up, then yeah, of course I'm going to do it, because people helped me. So sure. you know, I grew up watching my father and my grandfather mentor hundreds of um, of you know African American women, Hispanic. I mean, just across the board, diverse people through the military. So you know, I sit. I, I had a really good example growing up, and. It would be irresponsible of me not to help others when others were so helpful to me, especially when I started. I have to tell this story. <laughs> <laughs> um, I started at a newsletter called um, *Commuter Regional Airline News* in September of 1993, and the week I got there, the company it was called Phillips Business a Phillips publishing it's no longer in existence but at the time it was one of the largest newsletter published publishing companies in the world and i had been hired to write commuter regional airline news and in between the time i had been hired and that i started the person who was there before me left just you know there was i don't know what it was but she just did not want to be at the company anymore and the week i got there the company was celebrating its 20th anniversary and they were taking the entire company to Disney World. So it was like, hello, welcome to the company. Here's your orientation. Here's your desk. Here's your computer. The newsletter's due on Friday. We're going to Disney World. Bye. (laughs) That was my introduction. And I'm sitting there, and, I mean, the building is pretty much empty, you know, because everybody's gone to Disney World. Um, And so I called woman her name is kelly murphy she runs a pr firm now an aviation pr firm called emerald media and i called her and i said look i i know that you don't have you know i don't i that I, I know you're gone i was like but they've just left me here and i don't have anybody else to call because they've all gone to disney world i was like and i don't know what to do with this newsletter could you please help me and she did and i mean it's been like for 23 years and I still remember it like it was yesterday because she didn't have to help. I mean, she could have just not helped me. She could have, I mean, the regionals was a pretty small industry back then and she could have bad mouthed me, but she didn't. She helped me. She called people on my behalf and introduced me and asked people to help me. And, you know, I never forgot that. So, you know, you, And, I mean, to this day, if Kelly Murphy calls and needs something from me, she will always get it because, you know, that's another thing that my father taught me, don't forget the people that helped you along the way. So it it would not, you know, it would just not be in my nature. If I can't, if I can help, I will.
0: And what are some of the messages that you deliver to young people in general uh, to get them involved, to try to spark their interest in aviation?
1: I tell them, look up in the sky. I mean, these are gigantic, multi-million dollar pieces of machinery and and, and technology flying in the air. I mean, I've been flying, my first flight, my father got stationed to a military base outside of London. We flew from JFK to London Heathrow on a Pan Am 747. And that's when I fell in love. And it's like, it's it's a great industry. You can get on a plane, and in 24 hours, you can be on the other side of the world. You can see different cultures. You can, you know, just experience the, the the joy of flight. And I know that the airlines aren't what they used to be, but to me, they're still pretty amazing. I'm still happy to get on a plane every time I get on, whether I'm sitting in the back next to the bathroom or up front with a glass of champagne. <laughs> you know <laughs> and there's so many opportunities i mean you don't have to work for an airline you can work for an aircraft manufacturer an engine manufacturer an airport an aerospace company um a supplier i mean the possibilities are are literally endless so i yeah. mean why wouldn't you you can have a fantastic career working for some world class companies or even smaller companies that are doing things innovatively on on the aviation and aerospace side. So, yeah, you put it that way. Why wouldn't you want to?
0: (laughs) So how are you seeing or how are you using, I guess, technology in you mentioned Twitter connecting you with the CEO of the South African airline, but how are you using that type of, uh, or just in general technology to bridge that gap? Of diversity Uh, you're seeing airlines become more savvy I think for the most part out of a customer service standpoint and and trying to get in front of people so that they're not bad-mouthing an airline on on Twitter or Facebook but from a involvement side from trying to make trying to reach out to different groups how are you seeing technology being incorporated into that
1: well, I mean, I was an early adopter of social media. Um, I was on Twitter when it still wasn't cool to be on Twitter because so people didn't quite understand it. Um, so, But what happened was people slowly started getting on it, and then these hashtags started appearing. The big one is Geek, but you have BizAv, GenAv, Airlines, you know, different hashtags, and people just kind of started flocking. To each other, and it's like um, you you start meeting people on Facebook and on Twitter, um, and they have like-minded interests, and then they get to know you. You have a personality, and, you know, I I still to this day, I mean, I started getting these really great stories from people that I met only on Twitter, never in person. And you know, getting story ideas and tips that I never would have gotten without social media, because how would I have connected with these people? You know Sure. So I think it's been um, a great a, a great thing. And you know the technology you know for writing stories now, I mean when I started um, I started my career on a typewriter. You know, we use telephones to actually call people to get stories. I was in D.C., so I would walk to the Office of the Federal Register and the Congressional Record, and now all that stuff is online. You can get just about anything you need. I mean, so I I think it's helped me write better stories and be able to do more, but you still have to do the basic work. I mean, one of my favorites is you know Max Max Flight from the Airplane Geeks podcast. Yep. Um, his family came to Baltimore. They they have this lovely I don't want to call it a boat because it's not it's a beautiful kind of yacht like boat, and he's like, we're going to be in Baltimore. Would you like to come down? Now I've never met Max, but we had known each other via social media and and the podcast for two years, and I said, great. So my mother was in town, so I was like, oh. And my daughter, and we're like, let's. I'm like, we're going to go down to the wharf, and we're going to go and get on Max's boat. So we get to the wharf, and we park the car, and my mother's like, how long have you known Max? I'm like, oh, a couple of years. And she's like, well, when did you guys actually meet? I was like, oh, I've never met Max before. She's like, what? She's like, you've <laughs> never met him? I'm like, well, no, not in person. And so she's like, oh, my. She's like, well, how do you, I was like, well, we're Twitter friends. And she was just like, you know, I'm. It's me and her, her precious only grandchild, and then we get on the boat, and I'm like, "Ma, it's okay. It's, this is a lovely boat. Max is a wonderful person, and everything." But Max has is his pseudonym, so his family was calling him another name, which was really confusing <laughs> and disturbing <concerning> my mother. <laughs> but I mean, we had a lovely afternoon. But I mean, that's kind of the power of technology and social media. I mean, there are people that I've met on Twitter that I've never met in person. I mean, we've never actually spoken, maybe some messages via email or direct, me- direct messaging. But if they called me and they said they were in Baltimore and they needed to stay in my house, they could stay in my house. Because, you know, you just have that aviation connection. It's just, it's it's odd, but it's good.
0: Right. Yeah, I think it's interesting that, you know, the industry that's made the world smaller now leveraging the technology that's that's making it even smaller than being able to fly to the other side of the world uh, in, in a day has. So, like you mentioned, being able to connect and and have relationships with people you've never met in person, but also being able to connect with people that you would not ever get a chance to. You know, we I run runway VC with a woman in Bulgaria who I otherwise would have ne- we would have never crossed paths had it not been for uh social media and just the internet in general because it's not a country that I would have even thought to visit uh now it's on you know one of my top 10 places to go but just from an affordability aspect not cheap to get from the United States to to Europe, and even from New Orleans, where I'm based, into Bulgaria. So uh, just being able to leverage that and uh, use that technology to not necessarily even worry about what the way someone looks or what someone's name is, because like you said, you can interact with someone online and never know what their actual first name is. But to be able to get to know their personality through the way that they interact on social media is a very is a very big deal and I think is really helping connect people that otherwise wouldn't be able to and through that connection be able to accomplish and make their collective voice bigger than just the individual pockets of people in certain regions of the country and world.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, and I love that. I mean, I can tell you that... Um, I did not, I I never had a freelance business before, um, in October of 2011, I got laid off from aviation week and, you know, business decision, no problem. It was right before NBAA. So they were like, well, you're not going to NBAA, but you still have to be the web producer for the show. And I'm like, fine, I understand. I'm a professional. You know, you don't burn bridges. So I just started canceling my appointments at NBAA, and I said, I'm just, I'm not coming. And then one of my Twitter followers found out I had been laid off, and the barrage started. People were upset. And I'm like, no, it's a business decision. This was not personal you know, I'll be fine. Thank you all. You're very kind. And then the second wave was people contacting me asking me if I could freelance for them. So, you know, thanks to Twitter I have a thriving freelance business. <laughs> you
0: know? Right, right. So it's
1: just yeah, it's just amazing the the connections that you get and then you just carry on with your life and you know, wait for the next opportunity. I mean, you and I met through Slack.
0: (laughs) Sure, sure. (laughs) I'm
1: learning about that. I mean, that's another reason why I like to have my young people around because, you know, they teach me stuff that that keeps me relevant. So it's kind of a good exchange.
0: (laughs) I don't think it's a secret that as a whole, the aviation industry is a little hesitant to adopt new technology into their day-to-day activities. I think the airline's had to be drugged onto Twitter, kicking and screaming only because they realized what was happening. You know, they were getting, they weren't have they weren't getting to say so when people were complaining about their services. To this day, you see most of the major airports active on Twitter, but the smaller airports, not so much. That evolution is still going to take time, but, you know, to come back to the diversity issue, it's the, that's what's important about getting younger people who are familiar with this technology involved in these organizations to teach the C-level executives kind of what is capable and how much how much more productive a staff can be when technology is properly incorporated into their organizations
1: I agree and I think it's also important to have CEOs and executives buy into this stuff, because if they don't buy into it, you can, you know, suggest things and say, let's do this all day long, but, you know, there are still a lot of CEOs out there in this industry who believe that social media is a fad and it's for kids and it's a waste of time. The smart ones have realized that, no, this is an actual tool that can you know, help with the bottom line. I mean, that that's what I was speaking about in Barcelona last week. I was on a panel with, at the IATA Legal Symposium, and it was a panel on social media. And, you know, the aviation lawyer, there were aviation lawyers, um, there was an airline, two airline representatives, and then there was me as the journalist, and then there was a wonderful man from Ketchum PR in London. And you know, so we had a very lively discussion about social media, and one of my points was, you know, it does no good to plan and do all this if your executives and your your um, CEO are not have not bought into it.
0: Right. Yeah. And I think that to kind of wrap that up, the the buy in aspect of it comes from the proof. Right, So like I said, with the hesitation of CEOs to buy into this, it's because they don't see the direct impact, the, re- d- the direct return on their investment, uh, whether that's from a monetary standpoint or from a time standpoint. And being able to kind of reach out into a new demographic that they are not tied into is important for them so that they can then be proven to the effectiveness of you know, whatever the new technology is. I think on the other side of that, uh, and this is something that I've absolutely fallen to, is that younger people that are getting involved that shouldn't be afraid to necessarily push, you know, for adoption of a new technology also need to be wary of the hesitation that their CEOs or that their uh, direct supervisors may have and understand that sometimes the newest social media or the newest thing could be a trend. And, you know, we've seen countless startups pop up and then just as fast as they show up, they have disappeared. So I think that it's also important for younger professionals to just keep that in mind and that just because they read about it in an article on Fast Company or, you know, whatever uh, they came across doesn't necessarily mean that the company needs to go full, full right into it. And, if they're told no, that they shouldn't be discouraged from that. Now on the other side, CEOs and, and other C suite executives should absolutely encourage and and uh welcome those types of comments and you know, when they have to tell someone no, to make sure that it that they don't that person doesn't leave defeated. You know, uh like you said, when you were laid off, it wasn't a personal thing. It was a you understood it was a business decision and held no malintent towards the publication that she worked for, so I think that you know it's it's important that CEOs and and other supervisors uh, empower, which is the buzzword that is <laughs> that people are using now, but empower yeah. younger professionals to come to them with ideas, uh, and you know, like you mentioned, Slack. Trying, we're at my company. We're trying to incorporate Slack to kind of reduce the internal one-line emails and try to get a little bit more interaction through a messenger uh, rather than sending an email, attaching a document, and then having to comb through an email list that seems never-ending uh, to find that document again. But it took a while to get to where we are, and we're still not there. You know, it, there's a where, and we're not a very big company. So I think that executives need to absolutely encourage and push for their younger people, uh, young professionals to bring up opportunities that they may to improve their companies. And that will in turn produce buy-in for the young professionals who become more attached to companies and are less likely to leave.
1: And I just, I, I see as the industry is changing that there are more people who are willing to do that. So, you know, I think that's a good a good progression. And I think another thing is, you know, you see people that are coming into the industry from other industries. So it gives it a little freshness, you know, you know, a, a different point of view, which I think is a very good thing.
0: Sure, sure. Well, Benet, we're, we're about to approach an hour. So I want to kind of wrap this up. But uh, I really do appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. If you don't mind, I have one kind of off topic question. Uh, kind of to to wrap up our conversation on a lighter note, but as much as you travel, what are some of the three things that are always going to be in your carry-on?
1: Oh, yes, this is an easy one. Number one are my Bose noise-canceling headphones. Um, Must-have them. You know, I need my quiet and solitude on the plane. It's one of the few places on this planet where I can just sit quietly. Number two, my combination of baby wipes and hand sanitizer because planes are dirty places and I'm a bit of a germaphobe and there's nothing that a squirt of hand sanitizer and a baby wipe won't care, won't, won't fix and you know, even though my daughter is 10, I still have them. And number three is, um, books and or movies or television programs on my iPad. Um, because, again, I'm really busy, and I don't always get to catch up on movies, and I spent most of my flight to and from Barcelona watching movies that I hadn't seen in the movie theater. So those are my my three must-have things when I travel. All
0: right, all right. And can you tell everybody where they can find you online and kind of what you're up to nowadays?
1: Sure. Um, You can find me at aviationqueen.com. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at um, avqueenbenet. Um, I am writing, I'm still the air travel expert for about.com and writing for uh, Mary at Runway Girl Network and some other clients and, you know, always looking for new and fun assignments um, dealing with aviation. So um, you can reach me via my website and, you know, just, I hope anybody who, you know, is listening to support this po- podcast going forward because I think it's a good thing to have um podcast like this to give people information so they can learn about the great aviation industry.
0: Well, thank you so much, and I really appreciate your time.
1: You're welcome. Have a good one. You too.